Ryan Thomas Osborne. Billy Ritter. Welcome to Between the Stokes. Thank you. How are you this morning? I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, man. Good. It's so great to hear your voice. It's been seriously, I don't know how long. I know. No, really. How long has it been? I would say maybe a couple of weeks. No, no. Uh, since Saturday. <laughs> since, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we did talk on the phone. That's right. Because I called Ohio Ceramics to place an order. Um, oh, boy. These tumultuous times. So strange in all of this how are things going like what does your life look like how has it changed um so uh, about two weeks ago I started back to work um, and before that I was temporarily laid off and I uh, honestly I was loving every minute of it um, I was working in the studio every day cranking out a lot of work um, but I've uh been making a lot of baked goods as well um, that's great that's yeah. super great and i think you're not alone in that statement ryan i think a lot of people are loving um th there's been i mean aside all of the the sad parts of this pandemic there's kind of been a silver lining where uh, especially for people that are makers or people that are aspiring to be makers they've had some kind of free time to you know, connect and, and go insular and just work on stuff. So that's awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> so Ryan, I like to, on this, on this cast, um, one of the things that I like to try to do is for people listening to just sort of tell a little bit of backstory and really the focus beyond the backstory is how we all kind of ended up at Brinsley's ended up doing this wood-fired process together, ended up inadvertently becoming friends and knowing each other. And then, um, you know, like what, how has our work evolved and all those sort of things. So can we start there? I was thinking of this this morning and I thought, when was the first time I actually met Ryan? <laughs> and I kind of went blank. I couldn't, was it at Kent State? It had to be. Uh, actually, I think it was at a show of Kirk's at, um, River Gallery. Right. I, I went with Eva and you were there on your bike and you, you sat down and talked with us for a little bit. I remember that day. That was like, actually... I think that was about seven years ago. That sounds about right. Yeah. I remember that day. Uh, boy, that was a really interesting time. And not to get off topic, but that, that was, for me, that, my life was kind of falling apart at that point. It was in the process of getting built back together. It was super beautiful. And I remember that day vividly. It was super nice out. What a good memory. So then... Uh, then after that, at Brinsley's, and we would go there to fire. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, Ryan, um, tell everybody a little bit about how you came to get involved with clay over the years. I mean, did you go to school? Did you teach yourself? Is it a combination of both? 
So I started working with clay in high school. I took uh, two courses of it and I, I found that I was really gravitated to it, but I, I didn't really think, you know, this is something I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Um, you know, I was really interested in, you know, I've always done a lot of painting and drawing, um, stuff like that. I had a really great, a phenomenal um, arts program in my high school in Tennessee. Um, you know, we had two, two levels of drawing, uh, painting, lettering and design, fiber arts, ceramics. Um, and that's what really got me into art. Um, and then when I was about 17, I think it was late in my junior year of high school, I, you know, I don't know if you know this, but I'm, I'm kind of a shy person. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was unaware. Yeah. So, uh, it, that. I mean, it, it, imagine twenty years ago. It was like it was a lot. It, it was a lot worse. I bet. I bet. Um, so, I you know up until I was about seventeen, I would I would you know like sing in the car and stuff like that, and then finally my. Uh, my mom heard me sing a song and she was just blown away. And she's like, Ryan, you really need to be sharing your voice. So I, uh, I started taking, uh, doing singing in the choir at school. Um, and then into college, I started studying vocal performance and that, uh, I only did that for about a semester. I started at the University of Tennessee and I had a music scholarship to go there. And, but for some reason I tested into the advanced music theory course. And I don't know how I did that, but I, I did not belong <laughs> in that class. And it just, it just kind of killed it for me. Um, it, I realized, you know, maybe this isn't the direction I need to be going. Um, and so I, it took me a really long time to figure out my direction in life in college. Um, it took me about eight years to get my degree. Uh, I changed majors three times and I went to about five different schools in different parts of the Southeast. Um, but when I went to Ferrum College, that's really when I started to delve deeply into clay. Um, my professor, Jeff Dalton, um, he went to RISD and Heron's uh, School of Art and Design. Um, he really got me into it. Um, and this is a school of about 1,200 students in the middle of nowhere in Southwest Virginia. It's, uh, the, the population of the school makes up the majority of the town. And it's right in the heart of the moonshine capital of the world. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, so the art program was very small. It was in, you know, like a small one-story, two-bedroom house converted into a classroom. Um, so all of the 3D studies took place in that one house. Um, so really personal, like oh, very. one-on-one. That's great. 
but the other thing is, you know, he, my professor, he had never really had a student that really fell in love with clay. And I think in a way I, I kind of blew him away a little bit because I was going through more clay than, than he really had to give. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, you'd get, there. he'd get a couple pallets of clay from high water clays once a year, once a semester. And, um, you know, I was making hundreds of pe- hundreds of pieces and, um, wow. he really loved that. That's great. That's great. So I want to kind of rewind back because that story is really good. And I, I appreciate you sharing it because I, I've, I've known you for so many years, Ryan, and I have to say that I don't think I've ever heard you sing anything ever at any of the wood firings. And we always play great music. So I'm surprised I never caught you in the middle of singing something or at least humming or something. Well, that, that kind of goes back to the uh, shyness thing, I think. Oh, right, right, right. And, and, uh, crippling social anxiety <laughs> sure sure i i think i had that too early on um but what i wanted to ask was you know thinking of the singing now and knowing that and i know that you're a, a pretty avid drawer as well i've seen your drawings and they're great do you feel that those other disciplines as you're engaging in those that helps your clay work to evolve uh a little bit yeah I mean, I think it really helps me hammer out ideas. Um, and I find that when I'm drawing, I kind of gravitate towards the same forms. And, you know, to me, that's just me working out my ideas to see what I can do with this particular form and things like that. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's that's pretty common, that's good. Um, so we left off in what, what school are we at last going back to your story? You were kind of talking in chronology, which is. Yeah, great. I, I, I kind of jumped a few schools. So the last school was, was where I graduated from. Okay. So, um, so to backtrack, I started at the university of Tennessee for a semester studying vocal performance. And then I just had a really hard time, um, you know, being a, a really shy person and adjusting to new life in a much bigger city. Um, I bet. And, you know, that campus, it's when I was there, there were about 42,000 students. And it's pretty daunting for someone from That's a, a relatively small town. Yeah. Um, so I was having a hard time with that. And so I, uh, the following semester, I studied. I was just kind of getting some general electives out of the way at a community college uh, near my hometown. And after that, my, my father, he is a professor or he was a professor of criminal justice uh-huh. and he taught in a, at a community college in Southwest Virginia. And he got a position teaching at a four year liberal arts school called Virginia Intermont College, which is in Bristol, Virginia. Nice. So um, when he started teaching there, that's when I decided uh, they had a tuition waiver agreement. So I figured, hey, why not, you know? Sure. Um, And so 
when I was there, I decided, you know, I've always been really interested in psychology. Um, so I, I'll switch my major to psychology. <laughs> Why and, not? Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I found it really interesting and I loved, loved learning about it, but I was like a, a C average student. Um, you know, my, my teachers, they loved, they really liked the papers that I would write, but in terms of exams, I was not doing very well. And I was, at one point, I just thought, you know, maybe this isn't for me. Um, so after that, I, I think I studied psychology for maybe a year or two. Yeah. And um, so while I was at Virginia Intermont, that's when I switched to an art major. And um, there, my professor was uh, Dr. Marvin Tadlock. He is known for his large-scale steel sculpt sculptures, um, kind of whimsical and with some kind of political references in a lot of his work. Um, and that's when I took my first college clay class. And I actually hated it. <laughs> um, and it, it took me a while to, to, you know, looking back, I, I realized why I hated it. So in high school, I, I just, I picked up throwing really easily. You know, I could center really well. Um, I made a whole like tea set with, and tray that, anyways, besides that. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so I started taking my first clay class at Virginia Intermont and um, I just could not center for the life of me. And it was just so frustrating because I knew I could do it. But it had been maybe three years or so since I had thrown. Right. And I just couldn't get get into the swing of it. And I think it was because in high school we were using pugged clay. And it was a lot softer and a lot easier to work with. And I just, I didn't have those arm muscles to, yeah. to, to center the clay. Sure. Um. And so while I was a Virginia Aramont, I was taking, you know, 3D design, 2D design, those kinds of courses, just my basic art electives. And I hadn't really focused on uh, a medium. Right. Um, I also had a life drawing class there. And then I, I would say about halfway through my studies there, the school was on the verge of losing their accreditation. Um, so uh, my dad didn't want to be without a job and I didn't want to have basically a worthless degree. So my dad transferred to, or he got a position teaching at Ferrum College um, just below uh, Roanoke, Virginia. Yeah. Um, if you know the 16 Hands Pottery Group, they're really close by to their employed. They're about 30 minutes away. Right, right. Yeah. <clears throat> Hiram, yeah. Um, so my dad took the job at Ferrum. And while I was at Virginia Intermont, that's when I had really gotten back into music. I was more, I was an art major and a music minor. And so I was continuing to take voice lessons. I did a couple of uh, musicals. 
Um, and so when I was leaving Virginia Intermont, I had always thought about going to Belmont University in Nashville because stellar music program. Um, so I, I transferred to, to Belmont and I stayed there a year, but I, I had kind of a similar, uh, similar situation that I was in at the University of, Ten of Tennessee. There was just, you know, I'm just not made, I'm not cut out for the city right. <laughs> um, and being around tons and tons of people. Sure. So, you know, that transition was really difficult for me. But I did take a clay class at Belmont, and um, that's kind of when I kind of got a little bit more interested into it, but I still wasn't really sure, you know, what I'm doing or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I, I spent a year at Belmont, and then I just said, you know what, I'm going to go to Ferrum, finish out my degree there. Um, so at Ferrum, I my first class was in e-term which is which was basically like blossom for at kent yeah right uh, a two-week long intensive, intensive class yeah um so we had I, I guess the first week we just worked with clay all day every day making little starting with making little maquettes that's great um just quickly building th little things um and we got to fire the gas kiln, which they had built the previous year during the E-term. Um, and it was, I would say it's, it was maybe a little bit smaller than the old salt kiln at Kent. Um, same design. Sure. Um, and so, but other than the gas kiln that would get fired maybe once a semester, um, it was all pretty much low fire electric. Um, so I was working with slips and Scrafito and trying all these different glazes, doing a lot of glaze experimentation and just finding something that I was gravitated to. And what was that? Um, well, I, I kind of had a tra transition in my work my last year at Ferrum. So I was really into textural glazes like uh, uh, crawl glazes and lichen glazes. Mako jungle gems. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I would use those on my work and just see how they looked. Sure. And uh, a lot of it was just going through a lot of old ceramics monthly magazines, finding recipes, trying them out, see what they were like. Yeah, cause that's, I mean, um, that is a database and it goes way back. Like the first ceramics monthly is what, like 1971 or something, 1970. Hmm. It goes back forever. Yeah, but go ahead. Sorry. I got excited. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I eventually started making these biomorphic kind of vessel forms like bases. And I was just really interested in pushing the limits of the clay, you know, having this really thin neck and then having this big bulbous thing just hovering over, you know, I thought it was, I was just constantly trying to push the limits there with gravity and to 
accentuate the forms, I was covering them in a white slip and carving, meticulously carving concentric lines all over the piece. I think I've seen photos of these. Now, Ryan, this is all before you end up at Kent State, right? Okay, right. so th- where, where are we, like eight years ago, ten years ago? This was about nine to ten years okay. ago. So I want to, I love everything you're saying so far, but I want to fast forward a little bit. So then you start these forms, and how did you describe them? Again, you said biomorphic. So right. for um, those of you listening, when you look at the pictures of Ryan's work and you look at his Instagram or Facebook, you have Instagram and Facebook, right? I know you have Instagram. Right. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and also your website. And you'll see these shapes. And the shapes are, you know, oftentimes I see things and I – I think we all do this where you see a thing and you're like, oh, well, that looks like when I look at those pieces, I have no association. I'm, <laughs> I'm not like, oh, that, that <laughs> looks like they interest me. And I think they're super interesting. And so I want to have you, if you would, just sort of talk about. So those forms begin there and you get it to Kent State. And you keep making those forms and you're still making those forms, but the forms are different every time. So could you kind of shine some light on the evolution of that form? Like, did you watch a movie? Did you see somebody's work? Did you experience something in nature? Like, were there space aliens involved? Where did, where did that <laughs> form for you kind of come from? And what are the things that bring you back to keep wanting to figure out and explore it? I would say the work of Jean Arp really got me interested in those types okay, of forms. Yeah, I could see that um, now. I could see that. Um, his sculptural pieces just blew me away. Um, so his work, uh, Henry Moore, those were the two main artists I was looking at uh, during undergrad. Um, and I they my forms have kind of evolved from the they were more of like a vessel form they were open on the ends and my professor he was really urging me to make them more sculptural so that's when i began to close them in and explore you know different surfaces and things like that um and that's about when i left off at at Ferrum. That's when I, that was my last year and I graduated and um, I took a year off from, from school. I didn't go directly into graduate school. Um, oh, but just to rewind sure. a little bit, um, my last year at Ferrum, um, we had a visiting artist come um, and it was Eva Kwong. Yes. Who we all and loved so much. I just, who we all love. So she had a, a demonstration and a, uh, a gallery opening in the, the student gallery. And uh, I just, I just fell in love with her. She was just so sweet and so willing to teach you anything. Um, and 
so I just I really gravitated towards her and so uh, after that you know I took a year off from school and my professor gets a call from Eva saying you know we're we're getting ready to look, start looking at applications for the next um, year for the, our MFA program do you know anyone that might be interested so he it, you know, he immediately called me <laughs> and uh, I said, yeah, yeah, I'd be interested. Um, so I, I applied to Kent State. I applied to Rochester Institute of Technology and let's see, VCU and Radford oh. University. Um, so I, I got accepted to RIT and Radford. Um, but Radford was, it was a really small program. And when I went to visit it, it just seemed like the, the grads were really struggling and that just, it didn't sit well with me. Um, and I uh, talked on the phone with uh, Rick Hirsch, who was the head at RIT when this was all happening. And um, I, I really gravitated to him and I, I was really interested. I was seriously considering starting school there, but um, I just couldn't afford it financially, even with the, the TA, um, it just wasn't possible. Um, so I applied to Kent and one day uh, I get a phone call. So I go, hello, it's like, Ryan, it's like, yeah. This is Kirk Mangus. <laughs> yes. Enter Kirk Mangus. It's like, <laughs> so and I was like, oh, hi, Kirk. <laughs> he said, Ryan, I want you to come to Kent. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, well, I, you know, I'm still kind of waiting to hear back from this other school. And no, I need an answer now. Ooh, he put you on the spot. <laughs> what did you do? What did you do? So I, uh, I was like, uh, okay, I'll, uh, I'll come to Kent. I'll, I'll come visit this summer. <laughs> um, so that's kind of how I ended wow. up at Kent. That's kind of perfect. Um, um, Ryan, I want to, what a good moment to pause on. I want to pause. Um, we don't have a commercial because we don't have a sponsor, but... <laughs> I wanted to ask you, so at this point, we've been talking for about 25 minutes, and you've told a really interesting story that I think a lot of people that are creative um, and realize that early on can relate to, and that is that pursuit of wanting to really find the the home space for your creativity. I mean, you thought maybe you were a singer maybe you thought you were a drawer and you are a drawer and you know then there was this moment this connection of ceramics and in that process of going town to town and school to school um what kind of advice would you give young creative people that are on this similar journey you know about i guess trying to find that space where they feel like it fits like a glove like, what would you say to them? Um, just uh, be patient. 
Um, you know, so, some people realize what they want to do for the rest of their life right away. You know, it, there's no question. And, you know, I, you know, some days I still question it, you know, is this really what I want to be doing? But I think we, as artists, we all sure. do that. Um, so I think it's just a matter of, you know, continue to do what you love. And if it, you find a different path to go down, don't I love that. hesitate. Yeah, that's sage advice. So there it is. You get the phone call from Kirk Mangus. And um, not to deviate, but just to kind of agree with you fully and completely, that is exactly what happened to me after Penn State. And Kirk <laughs> called me, and that was like my first – because I was pretty sure I was going to do drawing and painting. Like I super liked play and he called me and right. he said, Hey, there's this position at this art center. And I really think you should apply for it. And I did exactly what you did. I was like, well, I, um, okay, okay. I'll do it. I'll do it right now. <laughs> and that moment again, Kirk Mangus for the inspirational win. And also Eva, like I, I've had a million conversations with Eva too. Um, most vividly, I remember one at the Acme grocery store in Kent State. And there in front of the dairy aisle, she gave me some of the most inspirational wisdom. They're both so great. So I love that that happened. So Ryan, let's get back to you. You, um, you say yes, and you show up at Kent State that summer. So have you enrolled or is this just a visit? I I had enrolled and I had been accepted, but I I still wanted to come up to just and Kirk wanted me okay, to come so see the program just to this? make sure. So this is so the summer of 2012. Yeah. Um, so I came during Blossom, and everyone was working really hard on everything. Um, I think they had already fired the wood kiln. Um, so I didn't really see any of that. Um, and I was just, you know, I was <laughs> 10 times more quiet than I am now. If, if it's you, even you, you can believe that maybe a hundred times more. <laughs> so I, I, there wasn't a whole lot to that visit other than just, you know, touring the campus, you know, things like that. Um, so uh, in the fall, I, I arrive and I come into the ceramics building. I don't really see anyone. And uh, I think Eva shows me where my space is going to be. And then um, this guy comes around the corner, said, hi, I'm Kabir. <laughs> I said, oh, so hi, Kabir. <laughs> And he knew he knew right away that he was going to have a lot of work to do on me in terms of like making me comfortable That's and making me feel great. welcome. Kabir's actually and, gonna be on the show this um, week. So yes. my my goal um my goal is to get every single person kind of tracing the story back to Kent State in this greeting moment that we all had every single one of us with either Kirk or Eva or Kabir or something that, that brought us to Brinsley's tell the story. So Kabir knows that you're a project and then you get your space 
And um, <laughs> just to kind of tie this story together. So for me at this point, you said it's 2012. So I had just graduated yeah, from Kent State, but I was still in Kent. And I think I would periodically be down through there and visit and see. And I remember seeing you there because there would always be cookouts and stuff outside. And I would always go down and hang out with yeah. you all. So you begin your graduate, your MFA studies at Kent in 2012. And how does that go? Like, what does, what does Kirk and Kabir and Eva, what do they encourage you or discourage you to do at this point? And, you know, what are your pursuits? Basically, they, I was encouraged just to make, you know, there were no real guidelines other than just yeah. make a lot of work. And my, my first semester there, you know, I was, I was kind of a little taken back because I was just so used to cranking out so much work at my undergrad. And then you see like all these other pe people cranking out so much more work than you're used yeah, to. Level it was up, a little daunting right? to me. Um, so, uh, so I, I think it was at the end of, springs the fall semester and eva says ryan you're doing a good job um but the honeymoon the honeymoon you, is you really need to crank it up a little bit <laughs> what a good line <laughs> oh, so you know eva really really got me to to break out and try new things and then you know kirk of course um you know, I would go up to ask him a question and, you know, 45 minutes or an hour later, I, I, <laughs> I might get the answer that I'm looking for. Um, but it usually it would take me at least a week to look back on that conversation it, and go, so Oh, what for I those see. Of you that are like, what is he talking about? <laughs> this is, this is not exclusive to Kirk. This is a phenomenon that, um, all potters all old potters possess and i don't know there's probably a term for it but i so ryan theoretically you would go in and you would say hey kirk um what it, you know how do you make an ash glaze and then kirk would say well there do you remember that scene in robocop and then this <laughs> <laughs> the story would begin there and then it would be like Jodie Foster, Aliens, um, the donut shop on Main Street. And it's this big looping circle that actually comes back to the answer. But the problem is, I think, and I don't want to speculate, but I, I think it's like all the powdered materials that we work with all the time. It does something to the wiring in our brains that <laughs> we become, I mean, Kirk, um, Kirk was like one of the best storytellers ever. If, if you had, if you had the mental endurance oh, to be in the moment of what was taking place and not lose patience with the thing you were hoping to find out, the answer was always there. You just had to wait for it because at the end, then he would be like, Oh, well, you know, the ash 
is what makes an ash glaze. Which isn't really the answer, but you know what I'm saying. Like right. he would drop the answer at the end. <laughs> oh, Kirk, miss that guy. So you start the honeymoon's over, and you start making a lot of work. What does that look like? Because your work, I think, like a lot of us, it skates between functional utility, like daily wares, cups, vases, vessels, pitchers plates, things like that, to sculptural work. So what does that look like at Kent? Like, what are you making? I'm making pots. I'm continuing those biomorphic kind of forms, um, but on a much larger scale. Um, you know, I was never, I had never, you know, in my undergrad, I was limited to the 26 right. or so inches inside the electric kiln. So I, I couldn't really get any larger. Um, and that was the beautiful thing about Kent where these kilns that were six feet tall, you could create enormous large scale sculptures. Um, so that's when I really started to begin working larger um, and I built two pieces that were about wow. five feet tall, um, which are, <laughs> I think, in a landfill. Forever, now. for the next 20,000 years, <laughs> even in shards, yeah. Sure. But to, to backtrack just a little bit, um, it was that, I want to say August or September of my first semester at Kent, um, when I, I must have been talking to Kabir about it, um, but said, so we're going to fire this wood kiln um, out in Ravenna this weekend. I was like, oh, okay. Um, maybe I'll come check it out. <laughs> and uh, so that's pretty much how I got wow. into so firing what year at Brinsley's. Think... Um, yeah, go ahead. I want to no, say it was probably- think that was? Go ahead. That was the the fall of 2012. Um, so I want to. I think they had fired the kiln so once or twice prior to that. Yeah, and now this kiln and there has to be. I I have a bunch of old pictures of it, but this was very primitive. I mean that style of kiln and the way that was built. What would you say? What style of wood kiln would you call that? Okay. I would call it a modified Manabigama. It's not really a train. Like there's, there were no side stokes. Like there was a stoke port, a fire mouth and nothing on the sides. And then I think there was one damper, wasn't there? And it was in the center. There were no side dampers. Yes. Yeah, so think, yeah, was, you're right. It's kind of a shotgun situation. <laughs> Oh, and we right. had to cover the uh, the chimney <laughs> the with the kiln shelf. Yeah, but which as as primitive as that utterly terrified was, me. He fired that for um, was it thirty seven times? Yeah, and then what happened was I believe there were so. no side supports or anything on that kiln. So in thermal expansion, when you'd get it up to like cone twelve and thirteen, and it was like really flexing out. 
it just started leaning to the right really hard. <laughs> and we always would joke about that. Like <laughs> the joke was like, if it just decided to open up right now, what would happen? <laughs> and it ne that never that never took place. Thank God, run would. as fast as you horrifying. can. Like, but <laughs> you know, it would flex out and then it would go back, and then it just got to a point where it was in such disrepair. But gosh, it only seems like yesterday that we were all there, and that was 2012. I know. So that was like eight years ago, yep. which not even a decade. So you come to that, you, um, do you remember like what you brought was, you know, usually when I go, I'm like, I'll bring a fistful of things. I brought one sculpture, um, I think a, a handful of cups and maybe a couple bowls. I didn't, didn't have a whole lot of work because at that point I, I didn't really have a lot of work. And I also, so before, you know, I didn't you, know what before I this firing at Brinsley's, like um, your first firing, had you been a part of the Kirk's Anagama at Kent State? No, my my first firing of the Kirk Gama was right. um, later on in that. So this was semester. really your first time wood firing, and so you go in. Do you remember who was on crew? Like, was I there? Was Kabir there? John Clausen probably. Yeah, I know John Clausen, uh, Kabir. Yeah, for sure. I want to say John was there. Miyazawa. Um, I don't really remember who oh, else was there. Yeah, of course, uh, I think June might have been there. Um, and June, uh, June, what is his last name? June Dong Chin. Right. Yeah, he was a graduate student at Kent State, right? right? Yeah, he was a graduate student, um, but while I was enrolled, he was and he the, was out there um, and was really the technical, technical assistant at Brinsley's for kind of the inception of this wood kiln and the building and all of that. And then he disappeared into the shadows. Yeah, and we <laughs> we haven't seen him. Um, but anyway, so the firing happens, and are you there for most of the firing? Yeah, I think. Nice. I think I'm, I'm pretty sure I stayed now, the that killed, there. It um, was pretty quick. I think yeah. sometimes so firing would be like 30 some hours. I, I want to say our, our average firing wow. was about That's 26 kind of a dream to 28 hours. <laughs> Looking backwards. Um, and it was really nice yeah. you know you could fire it with just a couple of people if you had to like um, splitting matchsticks and clearing ports and all of those adjustments you have to make along the way right. it's like this kiln was very it was like a barbecue grill you just <laughs> you just had to keep wood in it and keep it burning <laughs> nice and perfect so yeah all right so you get through the firing um is there anything you're thinking during the firing or um, maybe at the end of the firing, like any revelations you might've had along the way? 
Um, well, at the end of the firing, I remember going to the unloading and um, my sculpture that came out. It was kind of, it was a horizontal sculpture with a lot of nubs on it. And this came out pretty much all kind of a bland brown. <laughs> this, I was like, the, oh, this is this the joke in what like fire. It's like, that's a lot of work for brown pots. <laughs> Um, but on the other hand, I had two pods come out of that, out of that firing mm -hmm. that were just absolutely stunning. You know, I had a, a cup with a really awkward, tiny handle. It was a really small cup. It, it, it yeah. really wasn't a nice cup before it was fired. <laughs> um, but I, that was the first time I had fired something on its side and it just had this beautiful little amber drip going right to the center and of it so you go back for the unload and you're unloading and you're seeing these pots and the results are like hit and miss but you in the the ones that hit and you really are drawn to i know for me that like that first time my first experience was at the kent state kiln and i fired with kirk and when and that was before brinsley's mm -hmm. so i did it in reverse but when I took those pots out, they were these surfaces that I had never seen before because I only knew the predictability and the predictability or unpredictability of the gas kiln and what that could yield. But now there was this other thing and it was like atmosphere and a rich surface of, you know, maybe there's developed ash or underdeveloped ash. Do you remember seeing that kind of, um, those surfaces and just you know what was your thought about that um the ones yeah. that that i really liked <laughs> i was like you know wow this is this is something i think i can get into you know there's <laughs> there's fire there's yes. food and there's there's clay you know, there, there's not a whole lot that. that can go those wrong are here. The, those are the three <laughs> things that keep me coming back too. So, um, Ryan, so you had a great experience there. And obviously you kept coming back to Brinsley's just like we all did over time. And over time, you've really become the, and I love this because, you know, thinking of the evolution of the story that brought you to now that you just shared with everybody, you've really become the facilitator for the group. Like, I don't know at what point you received the badge of like, you're, you're the email coordinator person, but you, I don't know if it was begrudgingly, but you took it. And because of you, you're helping all of these firings now happen because the way that it used to work was just kind of like Brinsley would call somebody, somebody would, email somebody else and it was this big kind of chain of just trying to like rope people together but now you have a list of um i mean how many people are on that list now is it like a hundred i'd yeah no, i'd say there's and probably of that, there's kind of 40 or 50 people on that list i refer to you and i and john and john and kabir and megan and brinsley we're kind of like the core fellows <laughs> the the um, grandparents of this whole system and that's 
super great because it just keeps going on. Um, so at this point, I mean, how many firings do you think, how many firings do you think you've been a part of there at Brinsley's? I would say maybe all but eight firings. Yeah. So, yeah, I, there might've been one or two firings I would miss out on while, you know, if I, if it happened over spring break or something, if I was out of town um, and then, you know, after I graduated from Kent, I moved back home for a couple of years and I would come up, uh, you know, once every summer to fire. So, you know, I missed out on a couple here and there, but otherwise I've stuck around. You know, I think incrementally with each firing, you learn so much more about what's possible, what the kiln is capable of. And the beauty of this group and we're, um, we're by no means experts. Like I think collectively we know a lot and we share that together. And that's what I love about firing with everybody. It's like everywhere you go across the U S or even at Brinsley's each group, they have some, you know, tips and tricks that they all do. And then you share that with your group and then it just keeps evolving. So Ryan, this has um, been all super good. We have right. about 10 minutes. And in that 10 minutes, what I want to do is we've been looking kind of at a, chron- a chronology of what brought you to where and how the group connected and how you became the um, facilitator, the camp counselor for <laughs> for <laughs> um, the Brinsley Estate <laughs> wood firing group. But th- I think the thing that we're all thinking about on this Memorial Day weekend coming, you know, in the middle of this pandemic and hope, hopefully we're on a way out of the pandemic and it's starting to resolve. Um, what does the future of this look like? Like, how can we take something that's very community-based and people-oriented and uh, all of that and do it in a safe way where it can continue somehow in the future like have you thought about that and what that looks like yeah i've been thinking about it almost every day (laughs) um just yeah i think we we just have to be careful not to get too close to one another which is gonna be the hard part you know especially with the loading process um i think I think if we try to treat the loading process kind of like we do with a kiln with a firing shift, you know, plot out four hour shift two, I don't know, maybe two to three hour shifts for people to come out and load in a crew of two to three people and just do a little bit of a time, a little bit at a time with each shift, um, wearing masks, have the Purell out, (laughs) Um, I think that's that's true. That's if we do our accurate. best, it's the um, best we can it's do. It's not like we're in a coal mine, and for those of you that are coal miners, my hat goes off to you. That's a hard job, but it's we are outside, and yeah. 
we, you know, I, I think it's possible too. I think everything you said is right. Um, I don't know what the bathroom situation is going to, how we're going to go about that, you know, cause we would have to go into the house, but that's, that's the thing we can work out down the road. Maybe not on the podcast. Right. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it is possible. I think everyone is itching <laughs> because the weather here has been super beautiful and it, you know, this is like officially, I think the first day of summer. Um, so, you know, it's like, wood fire let's do it i know brinsley certainly wants to do it at like make it happen but at a distance so because he uh brinsley is probably the most voracious maker of all of us and i i can't wait to have him on here and ask him questions it it might be a two-part podcast because he's just the he he has so much information (laughs) Yeah, we can't even he, compress. He, he can't go 30 minutes without minutes. making either. And his life story is just so interesting. So as we as we sit at this Memorial Day weekend, um, Brian, what are – I want to give you just kind of the last seven minutes here to just talk, you know, what are your thoughts? What are you working on? Things that you want to share with people? Just go for it. Go bananas. well in in terms of what i've been working on i i've been cranking out a ton of work um during the time i was off i wow filled up the whole oval kiln in about three weeks um i have about four or five sculptures ready to go um otherwise i've just been working every day um which has been interesting in itself. Um, but I'm glad that our business is requiring everyone to wear a mask. So and that, we didn't, we didn't you know, it makes us feel a little bit more you comfortable. You work at Ohio Ceramics Supply, which is like, so for us, it's kind of like you work at a record right. store and we're all DJs. <laughs> so we're all going in to get the records. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, that's great that you've been busy. So other kind of takeaways during the past, reeling it up to the past few weeks here with the pandemic, like, have there been good silver linings? And I, I know this has been a, a remotely, and it, it's not that it's not still happening because it is still happening. But I, I think most people's experience of this is it's been moderately exhausting right. and terrifying. And um but in that, and I said this at the beginning to so many people, maybe they didn't agree, but there are always silver linings in stuff like this. I mean, have you found a silver lining during this time? Um, just that it's giving everyone a chance to connect deep, more deeply with their close friends and family. Um, or if you're an artist, if you have an if you have access to a studio, it's perfect. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think despite all the terrible things going on in the world, there are still for artists sure. for sure. Because making, I mean, you just got to get in there and do it. You got to make time for it. Um, you can't just buy the gym membership. You don't get in shape just by that. Like you got to. 
the the joke at the gym is like the heaviest weight is the front door. <laughs> and it's the same thing with the studio. I mean, yeah. I learned that in undergraduate school. My teacher, he said, you know, you got to have a serious practice. Even if you don't make anything, go to the studio. Just go and sit there, read a magazine. Just the, the act of right. being there. Yeah. That's kind of kind of my mantra too, you know, even if I'm not feeling like making sure. anything, go to the studio for 30 minutes and Something's chances are you'll be there for at least <laughs> yeah. a couple well, hours. That's good. That's good. Um, yeah. So Ryan, what an inspiring story. It was so good to hear about the backstory that brought you and kind of your struggles and, you know, things that you had to figure out to find your way to this journey of clay that you're on right now. Um, super inspiring story. I just want to say, I'm so glad to have met you on this journey and I'm so glad to be a part of it with you. And we, thanks. And we just continue to grow. And likewise, um, one of the things, you know, that we, even as we were first people coming to Brinsley's in our first moments being still wet behind the ears. For me, one of the best parts is now um, just like you being one of the elders there and watching these new kids come in from undergrad or graduate school and want to be a part of it. And they're mystified by all the same things we were mystified by like fire and food and high fives <laughs> Right. All of that sort of stuff. So it's great to share that. Um, Ryan, do you, where can we find out more about you? For sure. Um, you can go to my Instagram page, Ryan T. Osborne, um, or my website, rtoceramics.com. Or... Okay, super. Or Instagram is Ryan Ohio T. Osborne. Supply. Is that officially in Ravenna, Ohio? Exactly. Okay. It It is technically in Ravenna. It gotcha. used to be in Kent, um, but Ryan, now it any is. Any shout outs to anybody? Okay. <laughs> um, and. Uh, <laughs> One of my th favorite things um, that Paul Blaze always does on the Potter, Potter's cast is he ends it with, um, he asks, what is a book that you would recommend? So I'm going to steal that just for today's cast in a shout out to Paul Blaze. But what is a book that you would recommend? Ooh, that's a good one. I would that's recommend good. Art and Fear. All right. Well, Art and Fear, if you haven't read it, it's a, it's a thin read, but man, those words are powerful in there for sure. It tells you the facts. So Ryan, um, I just are. want to wrap this up. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was great to talk with you. Yeah. And you'll be seeing more of Ryan and, me and me. the rest of the crew coming up real soon on this DC during Corona firing. We don't know when it's happening, but it's happening soon. So Ryan and the rest of you out there have a great day. Get out in the sun, throw some pots and we'll see you on the trails somewhere. All right. Take care.
Sounds 